I'm done with science. The chair of the department actually said something very hurtful to me on my way out. What did he say? He said, nobody has any confidence that you will succeed. Wow. And that ruined my life. I was like, you guys all think I'm stupid and I'm not going to do anything with my life. Ridiculous. And I, up to that point, I thought I was really smart. So now I'm like, I had no idea because you believe your professors that you look up to. That's Jillian Teets, addiction expert and host of the Sober Powered Podcast. Joining me on Bucket List Careers today. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Krista Laurie. So Jillian, she goes by Jill, switched careers multiple times. She was a biochemist as well as a math and science teacher. And she was advancing in each of these roles, successful to the outside world. But all the while, she was suffering with massive anxiety and suicidal thoughts due to excessive drinking. So what brought her to the brink? Becoming sober and starting this community around her show, which is in the top 0.5% of podcasts worldwide. And in this chat, we examine how Jillian's quest and methods for educating others on staying sober are different from anyone else in her field and how that's serving her. You will love listening to this episode. Let's do this. Jillian, welcome to Bucket List Careers. Thanks for coming on the show. I'm grateful to have you. Thank you so much for asking me. Well, for our listeners that have no idea how we connected, I like to give a little backstory. I really enjoyed your session at Podcast Movement in LA recently. That was a conference. And I have to tell you, not just kissing up to you, you gave so much substance compared to a lot of the sessions that were very general on growing your show. But I came out of there and I I know it was on Instagram marketing, how you use social media to grow. And I had actual action items. I'm like, oh, this girl is someone I need to know more about. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I was nervous that everyone would be like, what does she know? But I got a <laughs> lot of good feedback and I'm feeling good for the future. No, it felt very authentic and I learned a lot. And then, of course, when I did my digging, I see that you had several career pivots. So <laughs> I had to reach out to you and here we are. And I think your narrative is perfect because it's inspirational. It involves not only a career transformation, but also a transformation of self. So beyond your titles and what you did before, I know you were a biochemist and a math and science teacher, and we'll dig into all of that. But I think it's apropos to start with how you became sober. Yeah. So the quick answer is that alcohol makes me feel very suicidal. And it got to a point that I became afraid for my own safety. And that is why I ultimately stopped, but I fought it as long as I could. (laughs) I tried to like learn to moderate for so many years and I thought I could figure it out. And I kept telling myself, you're a biochemist, you have a master's degree, you have a house, a husband, you don't have a DUI. No one thinks your drinking is bad. Like I had all of these reasons why I shouldn't have to stop. And that kept me stuck for the longest time. And it allowed my mental health to just get worse and worse and worse and worse. Right. So you're saying on the outside, you were a social drinker, you were a daily drinker, but it seemed as though you had it all together, but you were suffering and massive anxiety, suicidal thoughts, those can be so debilitating. But what was it that really pushed you over the edge? I used to do this very lovely routine. (laughs) I would wake up in the morning after drinking way too much again and not sticking to my moderation plan. And I would look in the mirror And my husband would be in the shower getting ready for work. And I would repeat, 
I hate you. I hate you. I hate you (sighs) over and over and over and over until I made myself cry. And that's how I started my day. And then I would go to work. Why do you do this to yourself? Why are you such a loser? Why can't you control yourself? I'd start researching how to moderate or why can't I control myself? And then by lunch, the hangover would fade and I'd start convincing myself why it's actually a good idea for me to drink tonight. It was very easy to convince myself. And then I would get home, drink, you know, drink way too much, wake up in the middle of the night, anxiety. And then I would force myself to stay awake all night. So I would sleep for maybe like three hours or so because I was kind of passed out. And then I would force myself to stay awake until the sun came up, just thinking like really scary, bad stuff. Mm. There was one night in particular that it was just really bad. I had drank all day. It was a Saturday. And I realized like my husband's going to go to a conference or something, or he's going to go on a motorcycle trip. Like he is right now. He's on a two week motorcycle trip and I'm going to be alone and I could get drunk and think these crazy things and like do something about it. And no one would be here to help me. I realized that that was my future and I stopped and never, never tried to go back. Well, congratulations on that. And I like the fact that you don't use the words alcoholic or alcoholism to describe yourself just sober, which is the positive result of of the strength of what you've been able to achieve. I think there's some clear value in that. Why do you choose not to use those words? What do you think it does to a person? In the beginning, I used to get pretty upset when people would call me an alcoholic. Like technically it's true. I realize that, but it just makes you feel bad about yourself. It's not like I'm a diabetic. I'm also an asthmatic. I have asthma, but nobody's like, oh my God, did you hear about Jill, the asthmatic? Like nobody says that. (laughs) That's so true. But, But with alcoholic, like there's so much shame and bad stuff that I didn't want it to define me. I didn't want to just be Jill, the alcoholic. I want to be Jill, who is also sober. And so now you're taking this turn in terms of starting a podcast, beginning to educate people working towards that and switching gears, which is a big part of the show, right? To talk about how you were able to make that transition from who you were before professionally. I know that in our prep communications, you said something about making yourself fit into your career in the sciences for about a decade. What wasn't authentic about what was going on with you in your career? Yeah, I didn't want to go to school for science. I was always really good at it. So I was told you should go, that you're always going to have job security. You're a woman. We need more women in science. And I just listened to the advice of everyone around me. I wanted Mm -hmm. to go to school for psychology, actually, and become a therapist. I went to school and then I went to grad school to try to get a PhD. And it just wasn't a good fit there. The program, it just wasn't for me. I mean, I can get into it, but that's probably going to be like a 20 minute story. (laughs) And I left after the first year and I was like, no, I'm done with science. The chair of the department actually said something very hurtful to me on my way out. What did he say? He said, nobody has any confidence that you will succeed. Wow. And that ruined my life. I was like, you guys all think I'm stupid and I'm not going to do anything with my life. Ridiculous. And I Up to that point, I thought I was really smart. So now I'm like, I had no idea because you believe your professors that you look up to. Of course. That's what led me to teaching. 
And then eventually I got back into the sciences because I wanted to prove I'm not actually stupid. I'm capable. I can do this. My husband's a scientist. So that kind of made me feel the push too. Right. And it's just never been a fit. Like there's always been something off. Well, you mentioned that you were always good at it. So that felt like the natural thing to pursue, right? But you also said that you were trying to prove something to yourself. So what do you think is behind that? And how did you unlock that mindset to let go? This is still something I'm working on. So I have this strong belief that like career success equals worth. So that's why I was so tied to getting a PhD. If I can just get a PhD, I'm smart and amazing. And then that didn't work out. And I got a master's instead. And then I'm like, if I can just climb the ladder, then I will be good and worthy and smart. And I was constantly just trying to prove that I belonged. And what I'm realizing now is like, that doesn't matter. Like, I'm not going to look back in 10 years and be like, geez, I'm so glad <laughs> that I proved that I belonged to everybody. You know, I'm so glad I spent all that mental energy on that. Yeah. No one thinks that way. Do you think that that drive for that validation is changing now in our society? Do you think that's somewhat outdated of a mindset and we're trending towards finding value and confidence in yourself in other ways versus career? I think it is in some areas. It's mm. challenging with science because there's this big promotion culture. Mm. So when I was a teacher, there were teachers and then there was like the principal. There wasn't teacher one, two, three, senior teacher one, two. Like in science, there's so many different levels. And when people join the company, they're immediately like fighting for a promotion. And it's like, just be at your level, like just do your job. And right. I'm always getting this pressure to do more, go above and beyond, so do more than you're doing. And I got 120% of my bonus for 2021 because I achieved everything that was asked of me, but it's still not good enough. And I'm getting these mixed messages like, you're doing amazing, but also could you do more? Could you go above and beyond? Exactly. When is it enough? This push for productivity all the time. And like that. you said, to advance, advance, advance. So now you left teaching and you recognize that that isn't your calling. Would you say that? I like to teach. Yes. I like to provide information, but the actual full-time career of teaching mm. is insanely stressful. Right. <laughs> it's very, very stressful. But I think that's why I've done well as a podcaster and like presenting at conferences because I have a teaching spirit. Mm. It's just the career is like... It takes over your whole life if you're a teacher. You still want to impart knowledge. And I, I've noticed that in your podcasts that you do site studies. They're scientific, but also accessible, which is great. You make it easy to digest the information. But I also found that just listening to a couple episodes, you certainly made me think and I learned something. So you have a nice combination, I think, of that, of accessibility and information. So you're transferring your skills as a teacher and now you're podcasting. Tell me about the goals there. You want to help others with their mental health. That's obvious. Using your experience as well. Let's talk more specifically about the show and how it's different from others. That's another issue. What are you providing that stands out? Yeah, no one's doing what I'm doing. People are trying to do it, but it requires a lot, a lot, a lot of hours <laughs> and a lot of dedication. Nobody realizes, right? Can we just powwow about that? It does take a lot more than just what you and I are doing here right now for 25 minutes. 
Exactly. Yeah. People don't realize the commitment. They don't realize how bad it feels when you put it out there and no one cares about it for months <laughs> and you're trying to like beg people, please listen to my show. This is what you need. And then they don't. And that's where a lot of podcasters quit because that feels bad. No one likes that feeling. I will admit that it was great at the beginning. There was this momentum of the new show and getting it out there and the launch, right? The launch was everything and you were so excited, but then it plateaued for a bit. And I'm not necessarily equating my experience to yours, but we're not Joe Rogan. Okay. We're not. And (laughs) I mean, my expectation was never to be that in year one, year two, even three, but I have certainly felt that as you said, it's like a loneliness because you're kind of doing this solo when an episode just doesn't hit, you know, as well as let's say the week before. It's hard. It's hard. But I'll tell you how I feel like I'm getting through it. I'm trying not to put any pressure on myself in terms of the timeline. How are you getting past that? And I know your show is growing. I mean, I know I, I see your followers and your, and your numbers look great. So tell me how you pushed past that fear of failure, I guess, is part of it, right? And how you're actually succeeding in in what you're doing. Yeah, I think that getting burned out and rage quitting Mm. comes when you try to do too much too soon. Like you try, you start and you get a little momentum and you're like, I'm going to be the most popular podcast ever. (laughs) And then it doesn't happen. Right. And then you get depressed and quit. Rage quitting. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. And same with monetization. You try to do something, maybe you make a Patreon or you try to get sponsors and like, you know, no one joins it or like nobody wants to sponsor you. They ignore your emails. It gets easy to get really defeated. And I think what I've done is just remember who the show's about. It's not about mm. monetizing and getting famous. Those things, of course, would be lovely. I will not say no. But it's about my listeners who are struggling to quit drinking or struggling to stay stopped. And I keep reminding myself about what the numbers are because I've got really caught up in numbers like, Mm. oh, this week first this one or like a plateau and you're trying to figure out why everyone hates you. And I always bring myself back to like, what are these numbers? These are all people. It's not just like 9,000 versus 10,000. One is good, one is bad or... (laughs) Or like this episode tanked this week. Like, why didn't anyone like it? They might just be on vacation. I don't know. You know, <laughs> Totally, totally. <laughs> or they just didn't get a chance to listen. You're right. If you think about the listener as the person you're trying to reach. And you said you're the only one who's really doing it in terms of Sober Powered, the Sober Powered podcast. So how are you connecting with the listener in a different way? I am talking about the research and I'm explaining it in a way that people can understand, which you usually don't find those two things together. Right. You find a lot of people that talk about their experience or they have guests on to talk about their experience. Yep. Or you find intellectuals that are trying to share the science, but it's not really connecting. Yeah. And I'm just like hanging out there in the middle, explaining it to people in a way that they can get it whether they failed science all of high school or not. And I think that's my strength. And that's where like the teaching background and passion comes in. Yeah. But yeah, having something unique about what I do has absolutely helped with my growth. Well, if you were to give takeaways from the episode, which I always try to get from guests, what do you want people to consider on their quest to their bucket list career based on what you've achieved so far? And you're only 31. So, (laughs) I mean, you're a very impressive person. I have to say kudos to you. Thank you. I appreciate that. 
I would say be patient. You're going to get excitable and you might have like a little momentum and then you want to capitalize on it or you see all this financial freedom culture Mm. on Instagram, like make a course and offer it and everyone's going to give you $2,000 and you make a course and you spend all this time and then like three people get it (laughs) and then you quit. Well, that's how everyone starts. If you listen to Amy Porterfield, I think she talks about it a lot. She started that way. Gillian Perkins is another one. No one bought her stuff for like years. So you have to suck for a while (laughs) and your content has to suck. Your sales skills has to suck. Everything has to suck for a while until you get good. And I've been doing this for years. You're almost at 100 episodes. Am I right? Yeah. 100 episodes in a couple of days. That's amazing. My Instagram game is pretty strong right now, but it sucked in the beginning. It sucked. (laughs) I love how honest you are about it. You're right, but that's what we need to hear. And whether it's podcasting or anything you're starting out doing, you actually, speaking of your age, that I threw that out there, but you did say to me before we started recording, think about the future you. Like this helped you overcome your roadblocks. You think about who you'll be at 45. You know, what is Jill going to be doing then? What will her life be like? How has that served you? Yeah, some reason I focus on 45-year-old Jill. I don't know why that age. (laughs) I feel like it's because it's so far in the future. I think if I wanted to focus on 35-year-old Jill, I could get more excitable about like Hmm. opportunities and like fame. But I try to think realistically, what will 45-year-old Jill be doing? Is she still going to be podcasting? Is she still going to be on Instagram? Like, what do you want her day-to-day to be like? And when I think that far into the future, it helps orient me. And like, I'm not trying to be super famous by the time I'm 33. I'm playing the long game and I'm going slow and I'm just seeing what happens. But I think considering the distant future helps you stop being like excitable and and like highly emotional about your decisions. And it brings logic back into it because you can't get excitable about 15 years from now. I, I see that. I totally feel that. But you are monetizing your podcast now. Where do you see the show or yourself in terms of your speaking opportunities? Do you see yourself writing a book? Because, you know, I actually had a guy who's a self-publishing school founder who says everyone should write a book and anyone can, especially as a marketing tool for a business or whatnot. So I know you're not necessarily sure what 45-year-old Jill is, but what are you working towards? And I think it's really good too to speak about what podcasting can lead to because I get a lot of questions about it. A lot of people are interested in it, but they just don't know if it's enough in and of itself or if it's really a door to something else. Great question. And I actually really enjoyed that episode, by the way, because uh, I am interested Chandler in Bolt. becoming- There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very good episode. Thank you for listening. Of course. But I think the only thing I'm sure of for 45-year-old Jill is that she will be an author. So that's something I've wanted since I was, I think, in sixth grade is when the dream started. So obviously then I didn't know I was going to blow up my life and write about sobriety. But right. <laughs> I always knew I wanted to be an author. What podcasting can lead to is just a lot of awareness I have been featured in NPR and WebMD and like all these big things. I've made big connections with people because of podcasting. It just raises awareness about who you are. If you have any kind of offer, it gets people to know 
you. Like they see your posts or they see your reels or, you know, what or your blogs, whatever you're doing, but they don't see like who you are. Podcasting lets them see you, how you talk, like how you laugh, what you think is funny, what's going on in your life, things like that. So it's a lot more personal. And yeah, maybe I won't be podcasting for like 15 years. Maybe I will. I don't know. But it just leads to so many other skills. Speaking is definitely something I want to keep working on. And it helps you practice talking to people too. Even though I don't have that many interviews, I'm making connections in my field and I'm learning like what questions to ask and how to have a good conversation. I think it's an excellent tool, but it's the best tool for like your listeners getting to know who you are. That is so true. And I will tell you, I love listening to you. So you should keep talking and keep putting your content out there. Let's talk about where listeners, my listeners can find out more about you. Where should we send them online? If you search for Sober Powered, you'll find me. That's my show, my website, my Instagram. I also have a Facebook group if you're sober curious or you just want to like lurk in a safe spot. You can go there. All right, Jillian Teets, thank you so much for your time. Sober Powered Podcast, everybody check it out. I really enjoyed it and I'm glad that we met. I'm glad we connected because I've learned a lot. So thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Be well. Isn't there just something about Jillian's voice that makes you want to listen? I really enjoyed this episode. I hope you did too. Be sure to share anything that speaks to you. Write a review for Bucket List Careers. I do appreciate that. And of course, if you have any guest ideas, send them my way on social media at Bucket List Careers. All right, we'll be back next week with more for you. Be well. An ironic media production. Visit us at ironicmedia.com.